Welcome to Pre-Review. I'm going to start by reading John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Six words. Let not your heart be troubled. In John chapter 14, verse 1. Or as we might say to someone today, relax, breathe, don't worry about it, calm down, take a chill pill. Now, why is Jesus saying that to his disciples? Let not your hearts be troubled. Well, if you think about the last few chapters in John's gospel, the disciples have a lot to be troubled about. Jesus has talked about his departure from them, his death and burial. He's predicted that Judas would betray him. And last but not least, that Peter would deny him. That's a lot to be troubled about. And then this week, Jesus brings up the prospect of persecution for his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled? Yeah, right. But when Jesus says this to his disciples, he's not being insensitive to their concern. He's not being uncaring towards them. In fact, he's about to tell the disciples about a gift from God that will calm their understandably troubled hearts. For the past several years of their lives, Jesus has walked with these disciples, eaten with them, taught them, performed miracles before their very eyes, faced down opponents with them, and last week he even washed their feet. But today he gives another important lesson before his death comes. And better yet, not just a lesson, but a promise. And part of the beauty of this promised gift from God that Jesus talks about, part of the beauty of it is that it's not just for his 11 main disciples in the Gospel of John. Remember, Judas is now out of the picture. But the beauty of this gift is that this gift from God is still being given today. So open your Bibles to John chapter 14, verse 1. Feel free to use the Bibles that we provide if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. But before we do any reading in John 14, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together to read your word. Thank you for the next few weeks as we get closer and closer to Easter. These past four or five weeks ever since Ash Wednesday, um, traditionally have been a time of mourning for Christians. But we're entering into a time where we will celebrate. And so, Father, be with us these next few weeks as we enter into Palm Sunday, as we enter into Easter. But I pray we also wouldn't overlook today, that we wouldn't overlook what your word has to tell us this morning. Father, we pray for those who are here this morning. Uh, visitors, guests, thank you for bringing them here. I pray you'd be with the people of our church, whether we're facing challenges or hardships or joys or successes, whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever we've brought with us to preview today. I pray that you would walk with us every single step of our way. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the text that we read this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and worship you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we'll be spending time in chapters 14 and 16 of the Gospel of John. And these two chapters have some significant things in common. And then next week, Zach will be preaching from chapter 15. 
But this morning, let's again read John chapter 14, verse 1 and following. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. After all that bad news of the past few chapters, the death and burial, the departure, the betrayal, the rejection by Peter, after all that bad news, Jesus looks to encourage and reassure his worried disciples. He tells them that, yes, he is going away to the Father, and that's bad news, but they will see him again. And even better, he tells them that he's preparing places for them to dwell in the very presence of God himself. But Thomas doesn't understand. How will we know the way? Are there certain landmarks that we should look for? What if my phone doesn't have service and I can't use my GPS? Well, the same way Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus meant by being born again, and the way that the Samaritan woman didn't understand what he meant by living water, and the way the Jews didn't understand that what he meant when he called himself bread from heaven. Just like those people, Thomas is thinking on a purely natural level. Roads and maps. But Jesus is thinking about something different. So Jesus responds, no, Thomas, that's not what I mean. I am the way to the Father. Jesus makes it clear that he is how you get to God's presence, period. These words remind us of some of the other exclusive claims that Jesus has made in this gospel. How about John 5, 23? Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. That's pretty exclusive. John chapter 8, verse 42. If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. And then John 10, verses 7 through 9, that passage about the good shepherd. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus tells his disciples that they will one day be in his presence again. And on top of that, they'll be in God the Father's presence. But in the meantime, they can pray in the name of Jesus. And they can be confident that their prayers will be heard and their prayers will be answered. Now, do you think that helped calm the disciples' troubled hearts? Certainly can't hurt, can it? Yes, Jesus is leaving them now, but they will see him again. They'll get to be in God the Father's presence as well. And until that time comes, they can make requests in Jesus' name, knowing that they are heard. Now, that's a good start to easing the disciples' anxiety, isn't it? But in the words of theologian Billy Mays, but wait, there's more. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Quick side note, how awful would it be to be that guy? Judas, not Iscariot? No, wrong Judas, not me, not that guy. No, we're not related. No, we're not friends. Not me. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus begins speaking about that very important gift that God will give them. It's a gift that should go a long way in giving the disciples some peace of mind. While Jesus is leaving them now, he says they will not be left alone. He will not leave them as orphans. 
How? Why? Because the helper is coming. Some translations may say the advocate or the comforter. If you've been in Christian circles for very long, you may have heard the word paraclete before. That word is used here, and it can also mean one who comes alongside. So this helper who comes alongside the disciples, the one that Jesus is speaking about, it's none other than the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus has spoken of the Holy Spirit before. He mentioned him to Nicodemus, comparing him to wind. In chapter 7, he compares the Holy Spirit to rivers of living water, similar to his conversation with the Samaritan woman. And even though Jesus tells us much about the Holy Spirit in John 14 and 16, and even though the Bible has numerous references to the Holy Spirit as well, both Old Testament and New Testament, in spite of all that, many Christians in our day and age, and maybe even some of us, have a complicated relationship with the Holy Spirit. But anyone who reads the Bible seriously has to admit that the Holy Spirit appears to be pretty important. After all, he is part of the Trinity. And yet, many of us talk about the Holy Spirit like he's some kind of weird, mysterious, impersonal force, like something from Star Wars. Others obsess over the Holy Spirit and some of the more flashy gifts they believe he provides to believers to the point of neglecting God the Father and Jesus the Son. But then some go to the opposite extreme of ignoring the Holy Spirit entirely and even getting suspicious or uncomfortable when someone brings him up. People have the mentality that, well, If you talk about the Holy Spirit very much, before you know it, we're going to be swinging from the chandeliers. But that's not what we're talking about. And if nothing else, if we look at these verses in John, they can go a long way in helping us better understand who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. So verse 15, for example, it tells us that the Holy Spirit will help Jesus' disciples obey his words. You read that verse, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You read that verse and you think, man, that sounds pretty hard. I do love Jesus, but I don't know that I can keep all his commandments. Well, you'd be right. But you can keep Jesus' commandments with the helper, with the Holy Spirit. Look at what John says in 1 John 5, verses 1 and 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That sounds like last week, John chapter 13. They will know that you are my disciples by your love for each other. John continues, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. Who we obey is a reflection of who we love. And the Holy Spirit assists Jesus' disciples and their obedience to him. We see another aspect of the Holy Spirit in verse 26. The Holy Spirit will teach and remind Jesus' disciples of his words. Now, you might hear that and think, well, how does that matter to me? I wasn't around Jesus during his earthly ministry. I was just a twinkle in my mother's eye when Jesus was walking around, talking and teaching. Well, this is still good news for us, because when we read the Bible... We know that we're 
not just reading random scribbles. Random scribbles from some guys who remembered a few things about Jesus here and there and did their best to try and remember everything. No. We're reading what these people wrote down as they were guided and assisted and inspired by the Helper, the Holy Spirit. So this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift of the Helper, it should give these troubled disciples a great sense of peace. But how do you think the disciples are feeling? Do you think they're feeling better? Well, I sure hope they are. And the reason we say that is because Jesus isn't done with the bad news quite yet. It's not just his departure. It's not just his death and burial. It's not just Judas's betrayal or Peter's rejection that they should be concerned about. It's a good thing that Jesus is giving them this helper, this Holy Spirit. Because they're going to need a helper for what Jesus talks about in chapter 16. Chapter 16, starting in verse 1. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Think about that phrase. Whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. That's scary. Verse 3. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So here's where Jesus brings up what we mentioned earlier, that prospect of persecution. He says his disciples will get kicked out of the synagogue. Now, that's more than just not being able to go to church the way that we would view it. Getting kicked out of the synagogue means that they'll become social and religious outcasts. He says they could even be killed by people thinking they're obeying God. Now, who do you think of when you hear that? Well, you might think of someone like Saul, the young Pharisee who would later arrest and kill Christians in the book of Acts. But eventually, by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Saul would become a Christian. And Jesus, perhaps seeing that fear and seeing that anxiety return to his disciples' faces, he brings up yet again the helper, 
the Holy Spirit. He even says that it's good for the disciples that he go away. It's to their advantage that he go away in order that the helper would come. How? Why? Well, look at what the helper will do. Verses 8 through 11 of chapter 16. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. The disciples' job? Well, their job is to preach and teach and speak and write and display the truth about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. What's not their job is to convict people of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can convict sinful hearts and bring them to repentance. That takes some pressure off of the disciples, especially once they've been given the Great Commission. We see another thing the Holy Spirit will do in verse 13. He will guide Jesus' disciples into truth. He will speak as a representative of God the Father, just as Jesus has done in his ministry. We saw Jesus say over and over and over in this book that I do not speak of my own accord, but I speak what the Father gives me. Well, in a world of mixed messages, where these disciples will soon encounter false teachings and bad ideas of who Jesus is and what he has done and when Jesus will return or if he will return at all, it's good for them to know that they will have the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit will help them discern truth from error. And then finally, we see Jesus say in verse 14 that the Holy Spirit will glorify him. The role of the Holy Spirit is similar to that role of John the Baptist that we've read about. That role of pointing people's eyes to Jesus. That's an important note to remember when, like some Christians we mentioned earlier, we're tempted to obsess over the Holy Spirit. His job is to point our eyes to Christ, to point our eyes to God the Father. And Jesus makes that clear. But Jesus makes no bones about it. That way that he talked about earlier in chapter 14, that way to the Father, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Things will get worse for his disciples, kicked out of synagogues, potentially even killed. But nonetheless, he also says that one day things will get better. John chapter 16, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Verse 22, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name... He will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And then down in verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We started today by reading those six words in John chapter 14, verse 1. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. And we end our reading today with eight more words. Take heart, I have overcome the world. We take heart in the long run, knowing that through his death and through his resurrection, Jesus has overcome sin and death and even Satan himself. We take heart in the short term, knowing that while all of those things still cause havoc, sin and death and pain and Satan are still doing their damage. We take heart in the short term because we've been given this glorious gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, the Bible says much more about the Holy Spirit than just these chapters in John. We see Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In Mark 13, a passage similar to this one, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will give the disciples words to speak when they stand before rulers who persecute them. Paul identifies the Holy Spirit as our seal, our marker of truly being children of God. We read about the gifts of the Holy Spirit given for the glory of God and the good of the church. And we even read in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit helps us in those intimate moments of pain and even confusion when we just don't know what to even say in prayer. But the real beauty of this gift that Jesus promises to his disciples in these chapters, the real beauty of this gift is that it's been given to you too. You sitting here right now as a believer in Jesus, you have this gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can help you grow in obedience to Christ. He can help you remember Jesus' words. He still convicts the world of sin and may even use you as the messenger. This Holy Spirit can guide you into truth and he can point your eyes to Christ. Now, you may not face the same challenges that Jesus's original disciples faced, namely that prospect of violent persecution. But don't be mistaken. We are not immune. We are not exempt from hardship. We are not exempt from suffering as we follow this way of Jesus he talked about. But when those times of hardship come, when suffering arrives, let not our hearts be troubled. Because we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And because Jesus has overcome the world. So we leave here as people with this gift. We leave here not as orphans but as people who bear a great gift of God. So I pray as we leave here that we would use that gift, that we would walk in step with the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, and that we might honor God and honor Christ as we go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these chapters in John's Gospel. There are many things in the church and in our Christian faith that we feel like we have a pretty good hold of, we feel like we understand, we feel like we get what the Bible is teaching, but the Holy Spirit can cause people some trouble. We don't always seem to know who the Holy Spirit is and, and what exactly he does, but, but I pray that this passage this morning would help clear up some of that confusion. 
Thank you for this gift of the Holy Spirit. That because you've given us this gift, we can stand firm in our faith. We can persevere through suffering. We can remember the words that Jesus has spoken, written in this Spirit-inspired book. Father, thank you for this gift of the Holy Spirit. But thank you for your Son. wouldn't have this gift of the Holy Spirit if your Son had not gone away, like he said in these chapters. Thank you that your Son went to the cross. That when the ruler of this world came, as he said in chapter 14, that Satan had no claim on him. Jesus didn't lose. He was not a victim of circumstance. His life wasn't taken from him. He gave his life up. Thank you for your son's obedience. Thank you for your son's sacrifice. Thank you that we can gather here as people from very different places, very different personalities, very different opinions, but we have the same spirit. And so, Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit we would love each other, like we talked about last week, and that we would fulfill the mission that you've given to us. Not by our own strength, not by our own ideas, not by our own wisdom, but rather by the power of your Spirit. We love you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. And we thank you for your Spirit. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together.